I know that's shocking, and I feel like I'm, not, I'm, I'm out of my mind watching this, but people always come back and say, Brandon, what'd you expect the end times to look like? It's crazy. You know, while we're, we're pay, playing patty cake with gender equity and, and transfluism or whatever you want to call it in our army, World War III is happening over there, and we're, we're worried about going green and getting everyone off of, of gas and going into electric cars and, oh, you can't. You can't make this stuff up. I couldn't even write a novel thinking of this because you would have to be somewhat insane to write the narrative. But this is what I guess we should expect for the, from this point on. Anyway, um, this is going to go into what we're going to talk about today a little bit because this is the situation in Daniel 4 where Nebuchadnezzar is going to be brought to his knees as a ruler and uh, God's going to bring him to his knees. And this message to, to Nebuchadnezzar is also a message that goes beyond Nebuchadnezzar, but goes to all Gentile rulers um, and includes, you know, even today's rulers, you know, whether it's Biden, Putin, it's uh, Zelensky, it's uh, all of them, Macron, uh, Trudeau. It, it's for all of them on this scale that any one of these leaders who think they're a self-made leader and does not bow a knee to God's rule, you will be humbled. Whether in this life or the next, you will be humbled. And so that's the message to everybody. And then the message to all Gentiles as well, that would include us. The message is this, that um, on a personal level, you either voluntarily bow a knee to Messiah or you will one day be forced on your knee and bow a knee. And that's what the message is because God is not willing that any should perish and he doesn't want anyone to, to go to hell. But basically he said, if you don't accept me, there is no other place to put you. And so this is a, a, a key message, not only for Nebuchadnezzar, but for the world and for us as well. And it's dealing with his pride, obviously, and it's dealing with world leaders' pride and all that. And so basically it's this, if you don't knock that pride off, I will knock it from you, is what God's going to say. I will take it from you and remove it. So it's a good lesson. So we're going to watch this because this is where justice happens, okay? I know many of us are frustrated with watching what's happening. It's driving you insane. It's driving me insane. And I get really frustrated about it. But when you see a passage like this, then you realize the justice of God. It is delayed to make sure people have a chance to come to faith. But once that time is over, you get pounded. And this is where we can take solace in that God is a just God and will right all the wrongs. So let's jump into this and I'll, I'll, I'll connect it to current events and things that are happening around the world right now because it's a universal message. It's Daniel 4 and we're going to start in verse 31. But here's what I want to say at the outset. When you see pride, okay, like you're going to see in Nebuchadnezzar, some of the traits behind prideful people are these certain things, okay? And they're not only just in world leaders, but they're in humans as well. We fight against this. Someone who has pride usually thinks that he or she is always right. They are easily offended. Doesn't, they don't like to be corrected. They're very defensive about it. They often complain about circumstances and people. They're usually ungrateful, often impatient with others and with God. And they're not even afraid of temptations, like they, they say, oh, I can, I can take this, I can handle it, and they can't. They secretly are ashamed of serving Christ. That's why they don't speak out at their work. That's why they don't speak out in the culture. That's why they don't speak into their family, because they're ashamed. Likes to talk more than listen. 
freely offers opinions without even being solicited for their opinion. Desires to be first or best, needs to be noticed. They're obstinate towards authority, quick to find fault with others, bold to contradict others. You say the sun is shining, they say, no, it's not. The sky is purple, they say, no, it's red. And it's just always contrary to you. They're demanding and very hard to please. They're not sensitive to the needs of others. They boast about their achievements. They live beyond their means. They're hard in forgiving other people and they're blind to their spiritual condition. And that's the key. All of that stems to when you have pride, you go blind to yourself. You don't see yourself in reality anymore. You actually create a fantasy world. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar has done. This is what Putin has done. Believe it or not, I mean, think about this. We know Putin's evil, but you know, in his fantasy world, with his pride, he thinks he's the Messiah of Russia. He really does. He thinks he's on mission for God to do, to do this. And same thing with Zelensky. Zelensky's out of his mind too. That guy's corrupt as well. He's not someone that you can support. You can support the Ukrainian people, but Zelensky's off his rocker. He is a globalist through and through, trained by Klaus Schwab. And all the globalists and the media now are backing him because he's part of the globalist narrative. So he's not someone you can look to. But again, why is that? Because they're pride. The globalists think they can rule the world without God. That's really what it is. And they don't know their spiritual condition. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And watch what God does to show him his spiritual condition. Nebuchadnezzar the king. So this is Nebuchadnezzar's words that he puts out to all people. This is after he has become saved, okay? So this is his testimony. This is what he's learned, and he's gonna give a message to everyone, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. So this goes beyond Babylon to everybody, okay, that's gonna listen, to all Gentiles. The first thing he says, peace be multiplied to you. This is where we get the word shalom or salam in Arabic, and and the language is Arabic right now. So when they see, he says this, he is not referring to just peace between you and me. He's referring to peace between us and God because he has found peace between him and God. And so the first thing he says is shalom or salam. And he wants others to realize you need to have peace with God through salvation. So it's amazing. It's a witnessing tract almost. He goes, I thought it good to declare with the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. The most high is El Elyon. The reason he has figured this out because he's now figured that Yahweh is the most high God. Their other gods that they worship were nothing but fallen angels and demons. He recognizes this now and that these other spirit creatures were creations of God. I'm sorry, that created by God and that God is the only creator. So he is El Elyon, the most high. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. He's seen uh, uh, Daniel interpret dreams for him. He has seen uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be delivered by him. So he's uh, accounting this. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. This is a sign that he has been saved in the fact that he admits this. He wouldn't admit it before, but now he's admitting that, that God rules in the affairs of men. Great. He's trying to give a message out to everybody. If you don't acknowledge this, you're in trouble. He didn't acknowledge it and he got in trouble. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, this is a key phrase. This is called false security. What's happening here is he's at rest at his home because he's no more wars to fight. 
He's already fought his military battles. He's vanquished his enemies. And now he sits at home restful, no fear of any enemies. The idea of flourishing in, in the palace means to go green, not like Joe Biden wants us to go green, but it means to flourish like a plant. It goes green. And the idea is his kingdom is flourishing. There's no, the, the, the GDP, all that stuff, economy is working great. He doesn't have a care in the world. Everything is 100%. Right there is the most dangerous place for a human being to be in. Because all of that is saying is that you have human security rather than spiritual security. He's in a dangerous spot. He's going to continue to think he's a self-made man, that he's achieved all of this, and now he can rest. No fear. It's like the guy that Jesus talked about who built his barns bigger and bigger and bigger, and he says, soul, sit back and rest. Remember that? And what did Messiah say? You fool, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Everything will change in one night. So we can think that we have peace and security through worldly means, but it can be taken away just like that. It's false. It's not real. So that should help us in understanding in the times that we live in, as they continue to mess up our economy and hit us in the pocketbooks, your security is not found in your money. Your security is found in Jesus, and that's it. You're going to have to understand that in the days ahead. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar was ex extremely proficient in building and architecture, and he was a genius. He was a military guy, so he was a great ruler, no doubt about that, and it all came from God. This guy was able to build one of the seven wonders of the world at, the, uh, at that time in the ancient world, which was the, the, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He built that for his wife. Interesting enough, he figured out how to create air conditioning without electricity. So the Hanging Gardens actually had uh, air conditioning. So if you go in Iraq, you know, in, in the summer, it's 120, 125, whatever, you could go in that building and have air conditioning coming through it, through the water systems and through the air and the vents and everything they created. Now, there's what I want to make note of. Now, I'll get to this in just a bit. The information Babylon had was not developed by the human Babylonians, the information they had regarding our architecture, weaponry, warfare, and the occult did not come from them. So hang on to that thought. So when he made this, these, this, this hanging gardens and all the architecture, that information how to do that didn't come from him. We know the ancients had technology that's beyond anything we can even see today. How did they cut stones that are as good as a laser cutting those stones? Well, it didn't come from human ingenuity. It came from another source. This is the problem you see on TV when they have these ancient alien stories. Well, aliens taught them how to do this. It wasn't aliens, someone else. We'll get to that. Anyway, those are what the gardens looked like. His, it was made specifically for his wife. It was paradise on earth that he had tried to create. Anyway, he says this. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Ah, so now we're getting to the nitty-gritty. He's not afraid of anyone, internal or externally, in the, in the empire, but God gives him something that he's going to be afraid of, a dream. See, in a dream, Nebuchadnezzar can't fight against it. He is without any resources in a dream, and it makes him afraid because he can't fight a dream. He can't stand an army against a dream. 
He can't do anything against it. it. He's in a passive role and he is in the middle of a dream watching something being told of him that he can't control. Ah, does God know how to get people's attention? He sure does. And he will do it at the point that makes them afraid to wake them up. And I can tell you this, if it's not death, he'll find something else that makes people afraid. Why? Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. So he will do what it takes to wake people up. Do all people wake up? No. I've seen people on their deathbed not want to come to faith in the Lord. Well, guess what? Guess when they wake up? They wake up when they pass from this life into the next and they're, in, they're sitting in Hades and then they wake up finally, but it's too late at that point. God wants to wake people up. He will do it in a way that makes them sometimes afraid. So this is what happened to him. He can't control it. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Notice the people involved. The magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in. And I told them the dream, but they did not know, uh, make known to me its interpretation. So I want you to notice this. The Babylonian officials, the, the religious leaders, the wise men, we get the term Magoi from this. It's where the Magi's came and visited Messiah. This whole intellectual, academic, political group is his advisors, okay? And what the scripture is trying to say and what Daniel's trying to say is, look, they have information, these Chaldeans and soothsayers, but their information cannot solve the dream problem. And it's trying to focus in on the information that Babylon has is illegitimate versus the information that Daniel's gonna give is legitimate because it comes from El Elyon, the most high God. Where did the Babylonians get their information? We'll talk about it, but that information is invalid and cannot solve a vision given to Nebuchadnezzar by God. Okay, hold on to that thought. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of, the, of my God. Remember, they changed his name when he was a youth. Daniel is about 45 to 50 years old at this point in time. He's my age, right there. This is how old he is. He's not a teenager anymore. He's middle-aged, okay? And, and, and so it's been years, 25 to 30 years since the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego account. According to the name of my God, either it was Baal or Marduk. And, his, and, and in him is the spirit of the holy God. Notice what it says. Nebuchadnezzar admits that this God that Daniel serves is holy. How did he know he was holy? I'll get to that in just a bit. It's not from the works that, that Nebuchadnezzar had seen. And I told the dream before him saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the, the visions of the, my dream that I, may, my, that I have seen and its interpretation, okay? How did he know that God was holy? It came from Daniel. And here's the principle. The principle is this. A person's life always reflects what he or she truly worships. Can't get away from that. What he had seen with Daniel and Daniel's holy life reflected that the God he serves must be holy as well. He had seen God deliver people out of the, the, the furnace and the power. He had seen that power. He had also seen the ability of God's omniscience to interpret dreams. But the only way he saw that God was holy is through Daniel. That's how impactful Daniel's life was on Nebuchadnezzar. It lent to Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. So it's important. So people watch us. 
they can tell what we worship. Do we worship God? Do we worship the God of money? Do we worship the God of pleasure? Whatever, it will be written on your life what you worship. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. Tree is important. We'll talk about why. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Now, this is interesting archaeologically. What you will see through this is the, uh, that this tree and that its branches grow out and the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields are covered by it and everyone receives their food from this tree. Interesting thing, archaeologically, we actually know why God sent him this vision because archaeologically, this was already on Nebuchadnezzar's mind. In his inscriptions that are now in like the British Museum, Nebuchadnezzar wrote of how he had provided for everybody in the realm. He had, he had been the one to feed everybody and even taking care of the animals and all these things. Actually, the vision, what is said, is what he inscribed about himself. He also inscribed about trees. In Nebuchadnezzar's archeological finds, he makes inscriptions that talk about that he cut down a Lebanon cedar by himself. Now you think, what is the big deal? Well, in the ancient world, the Lebanon cedars were the, the primo wood. And remember, Solomon used the cedars of Lebanon to build the first temple, if you remember that. Well, this, these cedars were like our sequoias. They were giant, big, massive. And so he claims in one of his inscriptions that he went and cut down a, on his own a cedar in Lebanon. Now, that's, a, I guess, a big feat back then, but that's what he claimed in one of his script, uh, inscriptions. Well, the funny thing is this goes right to the heart of his inscriptions of what he was saying about himself during that period of time. And we only know that now through archaeology. Absolutely amazing. So God's using his same language to get his attention. Notice though the tree became strong. Its height reached the heaven. So this is bigger than even Nebuchadnezzar because it goes into the heavens and it could be seen in the ends of the earth. The idea is it goes global. <clears throat> so now we have moved from just simply talking about Nebuchadnezzar, that this Gentile empire eventually goes global, which we'll see in Daniel chapter seven. And we've already seen in Daniel chapter two, that from, from Nebuchadnezzar's, the, the Babylon, the Medo-Persia, uh, Greece, and then Rome, eventually Rome goes into a global government and goes to the ends of the earth. So it's bigger, but notice where it originates from. Where does it originate from? Babylon. And then you can see the reference to where Israel is on the map. So eventually the global government that's getting ready to form will have its center of location in Babylon once again. I know that sounds far-fetched, but that's what the Bible says the headquarters of the Antichrist will be, is in Babylon. And of course, it's a tale of two cities, the tale of Jerusalem and the tale of Babylon. That's been the theme of the Bible, is a tale of two cities. And so this is what he is saying. He's projecting out into the future through all this. It goes beyond Nebuchadnezzar. As you know, Daniel predicts that a stone cut out with human hands comes from heaven, it's the Messiah, his kingdom, and destroys the Gentile kingdoms. So guess what? Everything they're forming right now, the globalists, Klaus Schwab, all of them, will one day be destroyed by Jesus. It's wicked what they're trying to do. And you can see Klaus Schwab is the leader of all this. He's training all these guys. 
That's why I tell you, Zelensky is not a guy to be rooted for. He's a globalist. He's corrupt. That guy's government is, is jacked up. It is so corrupt. But that doesn't make Putin a hero either. Putin's evil too. There's no one to root for. So these leaders, what they're trying to do is get this globalism going. Zelensky is trained by him. Gavin Newsom's trained by him. And most of everybody that rules the world is trained by Klaus Schwab and the economic forum. I'm telling you, this is where the root is right now. Anyway, here's an interesting thing. Zelensky wants to set up a meeting with Putin for peace talks, right? Guess where he wants to have it at? Why? It doesn't make any sense politically to go in Jerusalem and have a, a peace talk with Putin uh, in Jerusalem. But prophetically, it makes all the sense. Prophetically, you know where this is all going. It's going back to Israel. And it's going back to Babylon. So don't be shocked when the whole world's attention goes back to the Middle East, goes to Israel and Babylon. That's where the fight will end. That's where it began. And that's where it's going to end. So it's so from a prophetic standpoint, Zelensky may not even know why he did that. But I know why. This will be the contending place that Gog attacks eventually. And also the globalist one as well, because and the globalists will get it through the Antichrist. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, in it in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens dwelt in his branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. This is actually on the inscriptions of what Nebuchadnezzar was saying. And now it's being used against him. Notice what it says about feeding everybody. You catch that? All flesh was fed from it. Now, under Nebuchadnezzar, it was. He was providing food for everybody in the kingdom. No doubt about it, the kingdom was flourishing. Ah, but that tells you what's going to happen in the future. When the globalists take over, they want to control the food. This is why Bill Gates is buying 250,000 acres of land. This is why they're putting small farmers out of business and going to corporate owners of farming. Because at the end, the globalists already want to tell us how we're going to eat. See, if you can control food, you control people. They already said, and I've mentioned this before, they want to eliminate your meat and they want you down to maybe a hamburger per month. Think about that. And you're like, well, how are they going to enforce that, Brandon? Because they're going to issue a digital currency here soon. And when you have a digital currency, they will be able to control your buying and selling through the digital currency. And they're saying, well, if you bought one packet of meat today, well, that's you're done for the whole month. You can't buy anything with your digital currency anymore. And so they'll be able to do that. And then they'll be able to force you to buy certain things because they say, look, we're going to give you these credits to use, but they expire. And we're going to force you to buy certain things that we want you to buy. When they take over eventually, they will control the food. And I know where it's going, and you do too. Revelation 6 says, what? A quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts barley for a day's wages, and don't harm the oil and the wine. Why? Because eventually they will control the food so much, it will take you one day of work to get one meal. That's how bad it will be in the inflation of the scarcity of food and the controlling of food. Now, this is interesting that it says that, that all flesh fed from it. That's right. The global system's intention is to feed everybody on the planet and control it. Hmm. 
I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed that there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. Now, I've got to explain this, so let me unpack this, and we're going to have to pick some, some, some high fruit, okay? We have to go here because you won't understand. Watchers are mentioned three times in the text. Usually, no one wants to talk about this because it gets into some, some deep, evil stuff. So let's explain this. As you can see, this is a watcher, but it's a good watcher, a holy one not a bad watcher. Now, what is a watcher? It's a certain class of angels. You have cherubim, you have seraphim, and you know, and then you have a watcher. But the term angel is not a good term to use. A term angel is the function of some of the angels as a messenger. Angel means messenger. So we're using the wrong term. The term for these spirit beings that God created is Elohims plural, Elohim, spirit creatures. They live in the spiritual realm and they can manifest in the physical realm as well. Now, what is a watcher? A watcher is different than a cherubim and a seraphim. A watcher is a sentinel. A watcher is a guardian. It's where we get the concept of a guardian angel. Even it's mentioned in the gospels that the children have their their angels uh, watching all the time. So the concept of a guardian angel is true, but then the term for them are watchers. Now they watch certain things. They watch the saints, and they, they minister to the saints, and they protect the saints. In fact, the, every church has a watcher assigned to them, a holy watcher. So if you look in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, you'll see to the angel of church of Philadelphia, to the angel of church of Smyrna, to the angel of church of Laodicea, every church has a watcher assigned to it. We have a watcher assigned to this church. We will see that watcher eventually in the rapture, and we'll get to know who was actually watching out for our church. But there's a watcher assigned. He's a sentinel. He's here today with us. You just can't see him. He watches out. Now, watchers also do another thing. They watch unbelievers. They watch evil people. They watch bad people. And the purpose of them watching the bad people is they will be the ones to execute judgment on the bad people. That's how they function. You will see watchers go after Nebuchadnezzar in the story. Now here's, now, here's where we're gonna go into some deep stuff. So hang on to me or I'll lose you like a wet bar of soap in a shower. There are bad watchers. The bad watchers are watchers that fell with Satan, okay? He, was, he convinced a third to follow him, right? And a third of them are cherubim, uh, you know, includes cherubim, seraphs, and watchers as well, and then regular angels. Um, what happened is Messiah is, is predicted to come through Eve, okay? In Genesis 3.15, it'll be the seed of the woman. So the seed of the woman is a human being. It, it, we now know it's the God-man. Uh, it'll be God and man, uh, man in the hypostatic union of the Messiah, right? Jesus is the God-man. But he has to be 100% man. He cannot be, you know, 50% man or whatever. He has to be 100% man because that's the prediction that the, a man will destroy Satan. Okay. Once the watcher, the fallen watchers heard that and Satan heard that, they instituted a plan. The plan was to destroy the genetic line of humans so that there were no humans left. And that way, Messiah, the one who crushed Satan, couldn't come because he wouldn't be human. So they left their abode, according to Jude and, and, and uh, Second Peter. They left their estates, and they came down to earth. 
the abode of the watchers, the abode of fallen angels and even angels is space. Okay, they have access to earth, but these people, I'm sorry, these spirit creatures left their abode and came to the earth to do what? Well, according to Genesis 6, the fallen watchers cohabitated with women, as if you read Genesis 6, 1 through 4. And what ended up happening is they created, through this sexual union, hybrids, genetically modified. Now, these genetically modified things were not humans. They were half human, but half watcher. And they created what's called Nephilim in Scripture, or giants and strong men, men of renown, okay? Whether they had super intelligence, or this is where the myth stories start coming in that explain a lot of this. The genetic modifications were beyond what you and I can think. In all ancient cultures, they have mythologies of half men, half animals, minotaurs, centaurs, mermaids, all that. That is actually a corruption of what was going on in Genesis 6. All the ancient cultures have the same story. And so it got so bad, there was mixing human and, and angelic DNA, but also further on, uh, animal DNA inside the human DNA, which was creating these monstrosities. Now, angels know how we're created, and they know how to tamper with DNA. And they did through the sexual union. People say, well, I, can't, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't realize angels can manifest into a physical body. They do. In fact, watcher angels, when they manifest, they manifest into young, handsome men. All angels are male. So when they manifest, they manifest as young, handsome men. So they came upon the daughters of women and created these hybrids, okay? There were so many hybrids created. You'll read Genesis chapter six and you'll say Noah was perfect in his generations. That is not referring to his moral character. We already know Noah's moral. When it says it's perfect in his generations, it's referring to his DNA. His line and his boy's line, DNA had not been corrupted. That's why it says he's perfect in his generations. And so the point of the flood was not simply because man got sinful, it got exacerbated sinfully because of these hybrids and it was just out of control, animals. This is why later on it happens in the land of Canaan and they, the, the spies say, man, we're grasshoppers to them because they ran into Anakim, Rephaim, and Nephilim in the land where uh, uh, giant clans were at. Then that's why God pronounces harems with these certain clans. He will not pronounce a harem on other people groups because they're human. He will pronounce harems on these other clans in the promised land. And he tells Joshua, what is a harem? It means I want you to kill the men. I want you to kill the women. I want you to kill the children. I want you to kill the animals. And I want you to burn everything in this area. Don't touch it. Don't take anything from it. Why? Because they're not human. They're hybrids. And that's why he tells them to kill the women and children and the animals. It's not a genocide. It's they're not human. And they cannot be allowed to exist. So that's why they go in there and they harem the place. So anyway, that talks about Canaan. Okay, so extra biblical literature, and we're talking about extra biblical literature, which means that I'm not putting 100% stock on it, but it is oral tradition from Second Temple era. Second Temple era is the time of Jesus. During the time of Jesus, what did the Jews read to understand the background of the watchers? Okay. Well, this is what they understood about the watchers that led into understanding Genesis 6. That when the watchers decided to do this, 
when they took women, it doesn't, even in the, in the Hebrew in Genesis 6, it doesn't say they took women and, women and raped them and stole them. Uh-uh. The background then feeds into why they weren't raped. It says that the, the, the watchers actually did deals with the daughter's fathers. And the deal that was cut was, we will give you hidden information if you will give us your daughter. And this information will make you wealthy, it will make you powerful and strong, and eventually you will be a king. Because we will teach you metallurgy, we will teach you how to do weapons and how to do warfare. If you give an exchange for your daughter, we'll give you the information. And that's what happened. But one more piece of information they were giving. They were giving the fathers occultic information. That information, which is supposed to be hidden from humans, was actually revealed to them by the watchers, fallen watchers. And therefore, the beginning of the occult started when the watchers gave them that information. So when Nimrod builds a tower of Babylon, at the top it says, made to the, the heavens, he was worshiping the heavens, but on top of the tower of Babel was supposed to be a portal, a portal between this world and the spiritual world. And the angels had caught, the fallen angels had taught him that, the watchers had taught him that. Okay, so then what's created from the, the tower of Babel is the religion of Babylon. The religion of Babylon is called Babylon Mysteries because it's revealed information that humans are supposed to, not supposed to know. And so these mysteries stayed in Babylon. It's what created the Babylonian religion and it continued to stay in that area. And it stayed in the area all the way through Nebuchadnezzar. So let's bring you up to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, his soothsayers, his magi, all of them have the information that directly ties them to the watchers of Genesis 6. This is the information that was given to humans that was not supposed to be revealed. Okay. When you see this fight here between God and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, God is showing him a good watcher who's delivering the information versus the bad watchers that gave them bad information. And every part of that information would corrupt them. Yes, they would be militarily strong, but they would do it at their own expense. They would slice their own throats. That's what happened. And by the way, let me make an not an analogy, but a point into current events. The Babylonian religion is still with us from the watchers. Okay? So what happened? After Nebuchadnezzar, that information that Daniel's trying to correct why he's in Babylon. And he does a very good job with the Magi, right? It still stays there under mystery cults in Babylon. Babylon is then taken over by the Medes and Persians. At that point, the, the Babylonian priests and the soothsayers all leave and head to Turkey, to a place called Pergamum. So they left Babylon and went to Pergamum. And there is Satan's seat at that point in time for centuries. Stays in Pergamum, okay? Eventually, in the book of Revelation, there will be a church planted in Pergamum. And it is through the Pergamum church that the Babylonian religion enters into Christianity and starts corrupting Christianity, not only in the era of Pergamum, but in the era of Thyatira, and the Babylonian religion is now practiced in Christianity. You can see it in the Catholic Church or in the Greek Orthodox Church, and you're now seeing it in Protestantism. 
It is Babylonian. That's what we're fighting right now. We're fighting the Babylonian religion in Christianity. And these pastors and church people don't even realize it. But what is it? It's occultic information from watchers in Genesis 6 and after that. The information is coming from fallen angels. Now, here's the interesting thing. Let me tie it to another current event. These guys up there in Silicon Valley that are creating all these so-called wonderful technologies where they're starting to get into fusing biology with technology, CRISPR, messing with DNA, being able to unite the world through the internet and through all these technological things, digital currencies, all this stuff. Do you know where they get their information from? Because they don't come from their own head. Many of these guys in the Silicon Valley are tapped into the occult. And they're getting information from their avatars. They don't call them demons. They don't call them watchers. They're avatars or they're getting their information from their spirit guides. And the spirit guide is downloading the information into their head. And they come up with these brilliant ideas to unite the entire world technologically. I'm not making it up. Just do the research on these guys. They all claim it. So somebody is giving them information that they would not be able to develop had they not been given the information. Someone's leaking information to humans to make our lives worse. Just as in the days of Noah, they made life worse. They exacerbated sin. So think about this. How are they uh, uh, exacerbating sin with technology? Well, there is no technology. I'm sorry, no morality in the technology. But the technology is outpacing morality. That's the problem. And it's making us worse because of it. Why? Because information from watchers might be technologically uh, an advantage, but it destroys humanity every time. Every time. And so, hence, we're seeing that information still be leaked out. Some of the greatest mathematicians in the world, that they'll propose a problem that no one can solve. One of the greatest mathematicians is a guy from India. And no one could solve this problem. It's a math problem. And uh, they challenged him to do it. So he took, the, he took the question, the math equation, came back to them in a day or two and solved the math problem that no one on the world, on the planet, could solve. And they said, man, how do you do it? You're so smart. And he goes, that wasn't, that wasn't because I was smart. My spirit guide told me the answer, how to answer it. So a spirit guide gave the mathematician the answer to solve the problem. Don't think it's not happening. It's still happening. These people are tapped into the occult and these watchers will give them information. What does that mean for here? For Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel is sending a message. God is sending a message, I should say, that look, the information you have in Babylon comes from fallen watchers. I'm going to send you a good watcher because the only information that's legit is the information that comes from me. And I give you life is the difference. You won't get hybrids. You won't get sinful uh, like these angels will teach you how to sin. Anyway, he cried aloud and said, thus chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip of its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds of its, from its branches because he's going to shut it down. He's going to chop it down. He's, he's going to chop Nebuchadnezzar down, but eventually he's going to chop down the Gentile empires when Messiah gets back. Nevertheless, Leave the stump and roots in the ground, in the earth. Bound it with a band of iron and bronze. 
in the tender grass of the field. This is to preserve somebody, okay? Watch. Let it be wet with the dew of the heaven and let him, notice that it changes from it to him, graze with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Notice the prophecy is now turned to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's why there's a band of iron and bronze put around the stump. It's to preserve it from splintering anymore. Believe it or not, this is a weird thing. This is God, how he controls everything. When Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy and acts like an animal, he'll do so for seven years. But that stump, because it has the iron and bronze, really is talking about the protection of Nebuchadnezzar's throne. No one will ever try to get on his throne when he's acting like an animal for seven years. When Nebuchadnezzar died, everyone went for the throne. But while God's doing this to Nebuchadnezzar, no one even tries to get to the throne because the iron and the bronze that God has put on his throne is now protecting it. No one will touch it. And it's true, it never happens. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let him seven, let seven times pass over him. Seven years, this will happen. So Nebuchadnezzar, because you don't ex- acknowledge God's rule in your life, And because you act like an animal that you think you're the highest, then I'm gonna gonna give you what you want. You wanna act like an animal? You be an animal. This is a scary thing. When God gives you over to what you want, to God gives you over to what you are. When you act like an animal, fine, then you'll become an animal. That's what he's saying. This decision is by the what? The decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones talking about the watchers, these are good watchers. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. Now, what's going on here? Notice you're getting a reference to the divine council. So God has a council and it is beyond the Trinity. It is a council that's made up of high ranking angels, okay? Watcher angels, make up this council, some of them. There's obviously others that stand in the presence of God at the council as well, whether they're cherubim or seraphim, but watchers are, some of the watchers are part of the council. So when some of them fail, some of the council left God's council. This is why when you look in the Old Testament, it says God holds council in the heavens or he's amongst the congregation. Well, what is it referring to? It's referring to the watcher angels and those on the council. Now they don't, they don't necessarily give advice to God. They carry out his duties on the council. He makes a statement and then they carry it out. They're the ones who enforce it. And so they're part of this decree and they're gonna make it happen. Eventually, one day, we will be on that council as well. Now, what do you mean? Well, when you look at Revelation chapter five, you see the 24 elders around the throne. That is the divine council that includes humans. It's the church. So the 24 thrones represent that the church will be included in the council. So will Israel. And so you, God's point is he wants a divine council of not only angels, but humans as well. He will include us in that council. So that's where we're all going to that. But anyway, notice what it says. That the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. Now, if you're a good Calvinist, unfortunately, they will misinterpret this. They will say, see, there's no point of even voting because God's gonna put on the throne who he wants to put on and he's taking down anyone he wants to take down. That's a typical Calvinist interpretation and it's wrong. 
because the analogy of scripture shows you that God takes in the freedom choices of his human beings in the choosing of a leadership and removing them as well. Yes, God's in control of taking down and removing leaderships and, and putting them up, but he also allows his plan, his purposes, judgment sometimes, or blessing sometimes, and when people pray and vote. That's all included. So you can't just isolate this passage and say, see, my vote doesn't count. It does, because he takes into account the freedom and the praying in that. I think right now, currently, this is my opinion, I think right now we're in judgment with our leadership. I really do. I think that he has given us, even though we know the election was stolen, we know that it was fraud and all kinds of junk, still, look what's happened. He is judging America, saying, look, you want to be ruled by children? I'll put children right in the office for you. You're being ruled by a child. That's a judgment on America. Not a judgment on you, but a judgment on America because there's people that actually voted for that. There's people that actually go along with this mentality and it's a judgment that's coming on them. This dream, I, this dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of the kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. Of course, because they're getting information from watcher angels and they can't give them. But you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Yes, that's where the true information comes from the holy God through Daniel. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time and his thoughts troubled him. Because he now sees what the vision is saying, and it means that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be put on his back. So there's a little intrepidation here. He's afraid to say this, but he goes ahead and does it, and you got to learn from this. It's a little hard sometimes to tell people the truth, but you got to do it. It's going to upset them, and you can put all the flowers around hell you want, but it ain't going to change the reality. If they don't get right, they're going to hell. So he, he, he understands what's at stake here. So he says, he spoke to the king and said, Belteshazzar, do, you not, do not let the dream or interpretation trouble you. Like, hey, man, maybe this is for someone else, okay? Uh, my, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. We, we hope that this is not about you. But Daniel knows. He's trying to soften the blow, okay? The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven and their, uh, had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominions to the end of the earth. It's true, this is what happened. But God put you there like I reminded you 30 years ago. I told you, Nebuchadnezzar, God put you there. But now somehow you've forgotten. Inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, because this would be on Nebuchadnezzar's mind, it's watchers, this is a good watcher versus a bad watcher, coming down from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth. Bound it with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass under the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him gaze, graze with the beasts of the field until seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king. They, who's the they in that? Who executes judgment? Watcher angels. 
They, the watchers, shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And they, the watchers, shall make you eat grass like an oxen. They shall, they who, the watchers, shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you, seven years, till you know, till you know that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And the key phrase in that is until you know. That's what he says to all human beings. Until you know that I am the king. I will put you through this until you acknowledge it, until you know. How long was that take? I don't know. It takes 30 years, 20 years for some people. I, like I've told you, people have been on their deathbed. It takes their deathbed to wake them up. I've led many people to the Lord on their deathbed. Why did they wait so long? Well, it's until they know, until they're flat on their back and they have no resources, all their money can't save them anymore and they're flat on their back and they have no other option other than to look to heaven. But let me tell you this. I've been at the bedside of people who don't come to faith. They're stubborn all the way through death. So when will they know? The minute they die. And it'll be too late. Until they know will be when they're in the center of the earth in Hades. That's when they will know. When will they all know? They will know at the great white throne judgment. That's when they'll know. When every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You either do it now voluntarily or you're gonna be forced to do it at the great white throne judgment. Take your pick. I think you better do it now. And as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know the heaven, that heaven rules. So he's giving them good news. Hey, you're going to go through this period of time of humility, but you're going to come back. And the good sign is your, your kingdom is going to be given back to you once you learn this idea. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now, here's the thing. Daniel is not giving him the gospel. What he is asking Nebuchadnezzar to do is to be able to avoid temporal wrath from God for doing this. This is what we call pre-evangelism. What do you mean? In pre-evangelism, when someone will repent of what they're doing, like say an alcoholic stops drinking, it actually puts them in a better state where they're not gonna be penalized by God and perhaps their lives be taken in a, dr a drunk driving or killing their liver or whatever it might be. So even an unbeliever can stop what they're doing, get off drugs or whatever, and it actually is better for them and they don't suffer the penalty. That's what he's trying to tell Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, dude, you wanna reduce the penalty? and and. Uh, and extend your prosperity, stop saying that you're the king of the world. Get on your knees and admit that God is the king and he rules in the affairs of men. And then notice what he says, and show mercy to the poor. Now, is Daniel a social justice warrior? No, what does this have to do with? It has to do with authoritarian rule and totalitarianism, which the United States and the rest of the world are going towards. We are being hypnotized to go to totalitarianism. Okay, but I can tell you, the, the people who suffer under totalitarianism or authoritarianism, the first group that will be hit is the poor. It's the poor. How so? Let's look at today. 
when your gas prices are skyrocketing, they estimate by the summer it's it's going to be seven eight dollars. They estimate by December it'll be ten bucks. Now it could even go higher than that, but that's conservative estimates. Guess who gets affected first? What's the first group that gets affected by gas? It's not the laptop computer people working at home. It's the poor. The laptop computer people, the, the, the yuppies, they're not affected by this. They have enough money to buy an electric car as Biden wants them to buy. They don't realize that when they buy the electric car, the battery's going to run out. And the only way we get lithium batteries from the Middle East, and they're going to have to buy a whole new battery that's like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. So when they sell these electric cars to people, they're saying, oh, and by the way, in five years, you're going to have to pay $20,000 or $15,000 for a new battery. How stupid. It's just stupid. We're being ran by children. How about this? Food price. You notice your food price is going up? I can't even go out to dinner anymore. I go out to pizza and I throw down 80 bucks for a pizza for five. Wait a second. Pizza's like the cheapest thing you could possibly buy. It's, it's just cardboard with cheese on it. And, and I'm, I'm paying 80 bucks? Something's not right here, guys. It's going to get worse. But who gets affected first? It's the poor. You think Bill Gates is worried about your food prices? Doesn't affect him. How about your inflation rates? Who's the first group that it affects? The poor. And then it works its way up, right? The rich don't have a problem. The rich don't even think about this. They're like, ah, no big deal. It's not affecting me. Well, then retire and see how it affects you. Retire. When you say things like that, well, it's just not affecting me. Oh, you're not concerned that it's affecting everyone else, huh? That's the mentality of most people. Until it affects them, they don't care about anyone else. And look at this. I told you on Wednesday. This got signed in on Wednesday. Executive order to create a digital currency. Now, it can, it's an it's a, it's a, a, uh, executive order which could be held up in court and sued and all this stuff. But I'm telling you, they're going towards it. They all want it. Republicans and Democrats. The Uniparty, they all want it. They think this is great. This is going to solve our problems. I'm going to tell you who it's going to affect. Who's affect the first people it affects? The poor. Because you're going to tell the poor what they can buy and sell. They're going to tell them, poor, you can't buy any more gas. You've went past your limit. Well, what happens to the poor who's cutting the lawns and driving around town? They're eliminated, aren't they? Oh, we'll give them a living wage. They don't have to work anymore. See what they're doing? Why, as Nebuchadnezzar said, look, you need to have mercy on the poor because every totalitarian regime destroys people's lives and makes them poor. And that's why they're told. That's why what's happening now. Our lives are being destroyed by these clowns. Your economic situation is going to get worse because of these clowns. And we're going to a digital currency. There's the, the, the if you, want, you don't believe me, go to the whitehouse.org. There's a fact sheet right there from the White House. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about on his royal palace of, his, of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that, what, what, who built? I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power. You fool. It was Daniel who told you that God gave it to you. And for the honor of my majesty. It's Putin. It's Zelensky. It's Macron. 
It's Trudeau. You see the, the arrogance and the pride here? Not acknowledging God? Okay. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven fell. It's a watcher. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they, the watchers, shall drive from you uh, from men, and the dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall you pass over you, until you know that the, the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Instantaneous judgment. Can God take any of these people out? Of course he can. How is Putin going to be taken out? God's going to take Putin out when he attacks Israel. That's how he gets taken out. It's not going to be World War III, and it's not going to be the globalists. It will be actually God who takes Putin out if he is Gog, G-O-G. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown out like eagle's feathers, having long hair, uncombed, and his nails like bird's claws. Now this... A lot of people say, well, that's crazy. That's just hyperbole. That doesn't happen to people. That's crazy talk that he turned into an animal. No, it's not. We now have verification in, in, the, in the science, medical, and psychiatry that this is a real condition. It's called lycanthropy. This is the concept of where the, a wolfman comes from. You know, not the movie wolfman, but lycanthropy is, was studied on people who actually taught, uh, thought they had turned into an animal. And believe it or not, these people in the, in the psychiatric wards they're in, when they're let out into the grass, they will eat grass. And they even don't eat the weeds. They will eat only grass and drink water. It is a real condition. And by the way, did you notice that his hair had grown out like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws? Do you know what happens when someone has lycanthropy? That happens. Their hair go wild like an animal. And they actually, their nails actually turn into claws. Their nails actually will thicken and sharpen. It is the weirdest thing, but it is a real phenomenon. It is not made up now. Because people will say, oh, that's crazy. No one does that. With lycanthropy, they have actual case studies where this happened. The people who had lycanthropy in the psychiatric wards were able to live decades upon decades on only grass. Believe it or not, he did it for seven years. So it's not out of the realm. Oh, this is, this is hyperbole. That didn't happen. No, it happens today. It really does. And that's where we get the term werewolf. When people had lycanthropy in the old days, they acted like animals and they just called them a werewolf. That's where the concept comes from. Interesting, isn't it? But that's what he had. That's what the watchers gave him, lycanthropy. He walked around like an animal. Notice this. I want you to see his conversion. This is beautiful. You'll love it. At, and at the end of the time, at the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Right there is his conversion. Well, what do you mean? I've never heard that term, lifted my eyes to heaven. I know we use the term get saved, right? That's not how the ancients talked. They talked about salvation in terms of lifting their eyes to heaven because lifting your eyes to heaven means faith and heaven is where salvation comes from. El Elyon, the most high God. So when anyone talked about terms of salvation, they said, I lifted my eyes to heaven. It's faith. Now, how was this term used many times? Well, remember the bronze serpent that Moses made? 
What did he say to do? As it was lifted up, what did he say? Look on it and be saved, right? Jesus telling Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so shall the son of man be lifted up and I will draw all men to me. So the idea is as Messiah is lifted up, we look in faith to him and that's, that means getting saved. You look to faith to him. And as Messiah was on the cross, he was between heaven and earth as he was lifted up. He's the connection point. He's Jacob's ladder between heaven and earth as he's lifted up on the cross. And the only way to look at him on the cross, you've got to look up. Heaven toward. So this is his salvation right here. But notice, watch what happens once he turns to faith which is, he, this is how he gets out of lycanthropy. This is how he gets out of his spiritual blindness. Look what happens. And my understanding returned me. Bingo. That's it. If someone wants to get out of a Romans 1 mindset that are blinded to what's happening, blinded to Satan, blinded to the truth, all they have to do is come to faith in the Messiah and then they can see. And look what he said. My understanding returned to me. That's it. That's how they get out. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Look what he's saying now. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. That's a saved man. You're gonna see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Neither will the Antichrist. And at the same time, my reason returned to me. Oh, he got his faculties back. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. So yeah, he was given back that which he lost. My counselors and nobles resorted, uh, resorted to me and I restored my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me by God. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. He will put down Biden one day. He will put down Macron. He will put down Putin. All of these little petty rulers that you and I see that are trying to control our lives, he will put down. And when he comes back, they will shudder in fear at his sight as he makes them, forces them to their knees and proclaim out of their mouths, Jesus is Lord. That's what's happening. Couple of applications. We're talking about a national global level. We'll talk on a personal level. On a, a national global level, if a nation accepts God's rule, the nation's gonna find blessing. That's just a principle to all Gentiles. It's the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar. Guys, we have, we have seen the blessing of the United States for a long time. But the second phrase is happening right now. The rejection of God, then a nation will find disaster. And the disaster is we will end up like Nebuchadnezzar. The tree will be cut down. Is there a time we could see the tree being cut down of America? I think the saw is already working. Is the saw not already working? It's almost this way. It's almost tipping over. And the saw is going because people are rejecting God in our culture. On a personal level, on a societal level, when humans resist and reject God, they will think and act like an animal. 
That was why he did the punishment on Nebuchadnezzar is to show everybody here, when you reject me and you reject that you're made in the image of God, you're gonna act like an animal. No morals, no values. An animal, a dog doesn't acknowledge its creator. That's you, Nebuchadnezzar. That's anybody out there that won't acknowledge God. But when humans accept God and bow a knee to him, they will act like they're supposed to act made in the image of God. He'll mar that image if they don't. Now look at this guy. Is he acting like an animal? He's acting like an animal. Isn't it funny that people's pets start looking like them? Have you ever noticed that? You look at that pet, it looks like grandma. That dog looks like grandma. How does that happen? The animal starts morphing into the looks of, of the human owner. It's weird. He looks like his dog. How does that happen? Anyway, my point is Putin is acting like an animal, right? He will be shown who's in charge at Gog and Magog invasion. Personal application now. Nebuchadnezzar built his own kingdom. He thought he was a self-made man and it got all ripped from him in just a second by the watchers. What's the point? Don't build your kingdom. We're not here for that. There's too much people building their own kingdoms, even Christians. We're not here for that. Instead, build into the lives of people into ministry because that's the real kingdom. We're in the spiritual kingdom now. And the spiritual kingdom builds into the lives of others, not only in discipleship, but in evangelism. That's the only place you need to be putting your efforts in. Don't worry about your little kingdom. It's going to pot anyway. You're gonna lose everything. The only thing that lasts is what? His kingdom from everlasting to everlasting. Lastly, now on an interpersonal level, we must accept the reality of us to live in God's reality. I know it sounds weird, like a tongue twister, but if we don't accept who we are, what scripture says we are, you will instantly go out of reality that the reality that God has created. And what happens is, Pride fills your heart. So here's the things that we have to know. We're made in the image of God. We are loved. We are valued so much that God died for us. But we have a monster inside. We have a new nature. We are born again, but the monster still remains, doesn't it? The monster makes us weak. The monster makes us incomplete. The monster makes us dependent upon him. And the monster makes us poor in spirit. We have nothing to offer him. And that reality should drive us to Jesus. Not just in salvation, but in sanctification. People ask me all the time, Brandon, I'm just really not into the Bible and I just don't like reading. It's kind of boring and I, I don't make sense out of it or whatever. And I really don't like going to church. It's not my gig. And um, I, you know, I have a hard time going to Bible studies, yada, yada, yada. You know what's going on with that person? They don't have any spiritual hunger. Why don't they have any spiritual hunger? Because they don't see the reality of themselves. Because pride has blinded them to the reality of themselves. What did pride do to Satan? It blinded him to the reality of who God was and he wanted God's throne and thought he could overtake him. So when people don't have a hunger for the word, they don't have a hunger to go to church, they don't have a hunger to serve, they don't have a hunger anything, I know what's going on. They don't see the reality of themselves. They don't see them that they have cancer. And if you were told you had cancer, what would you do? I'm calling the doctor right now. I gotta go get an x-ray. I gotta go to an MRI. I gotta go see this guy. I gotta go to that guy. 
because I got cancer. The Bible is saying you have a cancer inside of you. It's a monster that's eating you alive. And if you don't go to the great physician, it will eat you up. That's what creates a desperation to read the word of God, a desperation to pray and do all the things you're supposed to do. Honestly, no one would have to tell you to do anything if you just saw yourself as you are spiritually. It would immediately cause a motivation in you. So the denial of, of reality of one's spiritual poverty, poor in spirit as Jesus called it, causes one to become prideful. And we're not honest with ourselves, but we have to be honest. You have to see yourself in that light. I'm jacked up, okay? Can you say that? I am, I'm jacked up. And I need help. I, I, I am spiritually handicapped. I can't do this on my own. I need help. And when you can say that honestly to yourself, you will reach out to God. You will have a hunger for him. And humbleness is the only proper way to live in this reality. That's the truth. You wanna live in truth? You have to be humble. Pride makes us create these unreality of fantasies about ourselves. Oh, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, Nebuchadnezzar said, right? Oh, and then uh, well, we don't say that, right? But we'll, this is what we say. I can take care of business. I can deal with this. I can have this. I can, I can deal with this problem. No problem. I can get it. I can get it. I'll just, I'll just pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'll take care of this. No, you won't. Doesn't work that way. Humbleness gets you into reality and actually prevents us from being self-absorbed, selfish, and narcissistic. It is the cure for narcissism. It is the cure for it all. And it's the only way to live in God's reality. Now, let me leave you with this. There was a doctor and he was an unbelievable heart surgeon, renowned around the world because this guy's hands, uh, he developed all these heart surgery techniques. He's on the forefront of everything. And he had these incredible hands and obviously an incredible mind to do this. And he performed amazing things, cutting edge. Well, when it happened one day, he got a God complex, like some doctors get. They think, well, I'm just, I'm a God. You know, I, I heal people. And they get this God complex and they think they're better than everyone else and above everyone else. You know what God did? The guy's hands started getting arthritis and they got so bad, they turned into claws. He couldn't operate anymore. He couldn't use his hands anymore. And he was devastated. It put him flat on his back because now his income is threatened. His livelihood is threatened. I mean, the way he does things, it was threatened. And this guy went into uh, a whole period of time like Nebuchadnezzar where he just didn't know where he fit, uh, fit in the world and was flat on his back, so to speak. You know what happened? He came to faith in the Messiah, came to faith in Jesus, and everything turned around from that point on. Now, he, doesn't, he wasn't healed in his hands. The arthritis still stayed, but Jesus used his life for something better. And you know what he did? He took that knowledge that it was just isolated among him and his surgeries. And he took that knowledge and then started teaching the whole world how to do the techniques on heart surgery. In effect, by his hand shriveling up, it humbled him, but then he was exalted because now God was gonna use him to give that knowledge out to everybody about how to do these heart surgeries. And here's the principle. Pride precedes humiliation, but humiliation can precede exaltation. 
if you respond like Nebuchadnezzar. God says this, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Let's pray.